Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everybody, and thank you for choosing King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, April twenty, uh, April twenty-sixth, April twenty-ninth. 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to. And there is a lot to talk about today on the Wrestling Show. But before we do that, let me introduce to you our guests. Uh, First of all, we'll be talking about the pay-per-view. And uh, let me introduce colleague number one is from Chicago. He is our wrestling insider. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King. Great to be on. Like you said, lots to talk about from Monday Night Raw yesterday, this Sunday, Extreme Rules, and of course, uh, this past Sunday was TNA Sacrifice, and even stuff going on on the WWE Network tonight. Uh, lots to talk about. Can't wait to get started, man. No doubt. Okay, uh... Let's see here. Uh, let me try to let somebody else in. Party, you are on King Jordan Radio. Who do we have? Speak up. Okay, let's try a different line. Party, you are on King Jordan Radio. Who do we Brother got? Brother King. Brother JJ, how you guys doing this evening? All right. Okay. We have another line. Let's see if that's uh, Dominic. Uh, let's go to line number two. Dominic, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. What's up, guys? The gang's uh-huh. all here. Yep, we're here. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, I, I want to go around the the, the uh, panel and ask everybody what they thought of Monday Night Raw, and then want to start with you, JJ. Well, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of wrestling fans didn't like. Uh, there was one maybe cheesy segment on the show, but if you're a comic book fan, you loved it. Uh, but Monday Night Raw had a really uh, crazy start, something we haven't really seen very often. It was kind of creepy. And we saw a different kind of John Cena that we haven't seen before. And maybe all this uh, tormenting that Bray Wyatt's doing is finally getting to Cena. And we used to hear about the, the cracks in the shield. I don't think there are any cracks in the shield right now. They're stronger than ever, but there might be some cracks in John Cena. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Dominic, what was your take of Monday Night Raw? I didn't like Raw. I really didn't. Um, the beginning of the show was creepy and eerie. It it went way too long, um, but there was there was hardly any matches, and the matches that were on there were so quick. If you if, if you blinked, you would have missed them. Raw Raw could have been a lot better. Uh, yeah, I thought so. Uh, JJ, anything in particular though that caught your eyes from Monday Night Raw? 
Well, obviously there was the start that I mentioned, uh, as Dominic said, very eerie, very creepy with Bray Wyatt and John Cena. And what made it so eerie and creepy was when, you know, John Cena came out, he kicked off the show, and he was basically kind of upset with the WWE Universe. He kind of just said, why? Why did you vote me in that handicap match last week? You had the power to make it a one-on-one match, to give me a fighting chance, and instead you wanted me to get my butt whooped by all three members of the Wyatts. And sure enough, then Bray Wyatt comes out. And then what made it different than anything else was he had this, you, hear, you heard these children singing. It was a choir of children singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then you saw Bray Wyatt leading these children around the ring. And the ring what, did have a steel cage, so you had Cena in the cage, and you had these choir just surrounding the ring and singing. And even Bray Wyatt would mix it up and say, instead of that he's got the whole world in his hands, he would sing that he's got the sea nation in his hands. He would sing that, you know, the monster has the world in his hands. And it was just something so strange. And, of course, any time you involve little children, it's always a little extra creepy. <laughs> but uh, it was very strange. And we saw John Cena for the first time, maybe not since WrestleMania 28, when he was defeated by The Rock. We saw John Cena in the middle of that ring look like he failed, like he was defeated. And we haven't seen that, like I said, since WrestleMania 28. So we're starting to see, you know, Cena question not only himself, but question the fans, the fans who are rallying behind Bray Wyatt. And Cena even said something which, for me personally, I loved. It was a quote from The Dark Knight. He quoted Harvey Dent and said, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I thought that was just a classic line. If there's any Batman fans out there who've seen The Dark Knight, they really got into that quote from the film. But that's what we're seeing with John Cena. John John Cena was the ultimate good guy. He's the hero. He's, you know, your typical baby face. But as time goes on, over the 12 years that he's been in the WWE, we, you see the fans are turning on him. They've been turning on him for several years now, and especially now with the voting of last week where the fans basically wanted to see him get his butt kicked by the Wyatts. They put him in a handicap match. That was the fans' choice. It wasn't Vicky Guerrero or Brad Maddox or Triple H or Stephanie or the authority. It was the fans who put John Cena in that situation. And John Cena has always been, you know, one of the people. You know, he's all about the fans and giving them everything that he's got and for them to turn on him. And we saw how he felt, his reaction. I really like that side of Cena. And a lot of people were speculating, you know, could this be, you know, the breadcrumbs of John Cena turning heel? I don't know if we're there yet, but we still may have a while to go, but it's still something different. We're seeing Cena in a different light, and I like that. You know, other things that happened, I mentioned there was a cheesy kind of moment where, of course, Hugh Jackman made his return to the WWE. We haven't seen Hugh Jackman since he was the guest host of Raw back in 2011. He actually appeared with who was, you know, kind of popular at the time, Zack Ryder, and he uh, interfered in a match against Dolph Ziggler, in which he almost damn near broke uh, Dolph Ziggler's jaw. He just hit him with a stiff right. And uh, what we saw was tonight, Dolph Ziggler and Hugh Jackman, they kind of buried the hatchet. 
But to promote uh, Hugh Jackman's upcoming X-Men movie, uh, Days Future of Past, we saw Damien Sandow dress up as Magneto. And when I say he dressed up as Magneto from the movie, I didn't mean that he dressed up as, for any, any of our listeners who've watched the X-Men movies, the original one from 1999, or the new incarnation with the first class. He didn't dress up like Ian McKinnon. He didn't dress up as Michael Fassbender. He dressed up like Magneto from the comic books in a very bright red and purple costume. He looked absolutely ridiculous. But as a comic book fan myself, I thought it was hilarious. A lot of people didn't like it. That's all I saw online with people saying this is cheesy, this is stupid, it's a waste of time. And I don't argue it went on maybe a little bit longer than it should have. But it was still, if you're a comic book fan, which X-Men, trust me, that will be the number one movie when it comes out at the end of the end of May. Spider-Man comes out this Friday, probably be the number one movie. Captain America was number one for three weeks. You know, these movies have a lot of audiences, and maybe some of those people tuned into Raw last night for the first time, and they saw something kind of amusing between Hugh Jackman and this wrestler. Maybe someone became a fan of Damien Sandow. Who knows? A lot of people have been upset that Damian Sandow hasn't got, you know, a great opportunity in the WWE. Well, right now he was in the ring with a major celebrity, and he was in—he was being used at least on Monday Night Raw, which is something that we haven't really seen. He's usually been in squash matches, so it was refreshing to see Damian Sandow embrace that character. And he kept yelling "silence," and he wanted to get his discussion in. And eventually, it just led to Hugh, Jack, uh, Hugh Jackman giving him a hip toss and then Dolph Ziggler giving him the zigzag. And then for a lot of people who said that was the worst uh, segment in Raw history, I asked them to watch the Michael Strahan with The Miz and Titus O'Neil. That was pretty bad. That wasn't nearly as bad last night, but I digress. At the end of the show, we saw the nature boy Ric Flair, 16-time world champion. Evolution has been back in full force for the last two weeks but they haven't been a complete package until the Nature Boy made his return uh, last night on Raw. But to the surprise of many, and some question this, Ric Flair, while he was there to support his guys, Triple H, Randy Orton, Batista, he was also there saying that he was acknowledging that there was a powerful force in the WWE right now, and it reminded him of the Four Horsemen. And then, you know, Triple H is smiling. He thinks he's talking about evolution. But instead, Ric Flair was talking about the Shield. And he shook hands with Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Dean Ambrose and basically gave his stamp of approval to the Shield, endorsing the Shield as the next big, you know, thing in the WWE. And it wasn't evolution. And Ric Flair just walked away. And a lot of people wonder, was he for real? Was he really putting the shield over evolution? Or is this Ric Flair being the dirtiest player in the game? And will he interfere this Sunday at Extreme Rules? That's a very big question. But, you know, as Dominic said, there weren't a lot of matches on Raw. We saw a match between the Ryback Baxel and the Usos for the tag team titles. I don't think they will be defending them at the pay-per-view. We also saw Sheamus and Titus O'Neil, which, again, as Dominic said, that match alone maybe lasted about a minute or two. Titus O'Neil kind of sneak attacked Sheamus, and the match was kind of over before it started. Uh, we saw Jack Swagger and Cesaro, 
in a match. And then we, of course, saw Cody Rhodes, Alberto Del Rio, Alexander Rusev, and another sort of squash match with Xavier Woods. R-Truth made the rescue leading up because uh, they have a match at Extreme Rules. It will be a handicap match with R-Truth and Xavier Woods against uh, Alexander Rusev. And we also had, of course, which was a complete shock to me, maybe the biggest shock of the night, Heath Slater actually got a pin. He actually got a victory. 3MB won a match on Monday Night Raw. Fans everywhere were shocked. They couldn't believe 3MB actually won a match. Uh, Stephanie McMahon confronted Daniel Bryan and Bree, and Stephanie tried to apologize to Daniel and Bree, saying she had no idea whatsoever what Kane was going to do and that it went so far, and she tried to apologize. And then Bree basically said what everyone has been wanting to say. She called Stephanie a bitch, and it was just kind of a, a great moment. Uh, with, of course, another match that was very quick was that it's for the Divas Championship. Stephanie tried to reward Bree and say, listen, I'm really here for you guys, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to face the Divas Champion page tonight, and if you win, then you go on to Extreme Rules and face Tamina. But this match didn't really last too long, and Kane interfered into the match wearing his mask, and he tried to kidnap Bree. Daniel Bryan tried to make the save, but they had, of course, his back and forth, and Kane was trying to pull Bree into the depths of hell as he, you know, cut open the ring mat and tried to pull her down the ring. We've seen Kane do that many times. We've seen many other wrestlers in uh, different places do that, but none do it as good as Kane and The Undertaker. They're definitely the two who really made that kind of a, a kind of a big thing, something that's kind of cool. And, you know, now that Kane's back as the demonic demon, it definitely made sense for him to do pull out some of his old tricks. Of course, we saw Wade Barrett versus Rob Van Dam, the semifinals, or the finals, and the winner going on to Extreme Rules to face Biggie Langston for the Intercontinental Championship. And surprise, surprise, Cesaro ran in and interfered into the match, costing Rob Van Dam. Wade Barrett won. Wade Barrett will be advancing to face Biggie for the Intercontinental Championship. But we will see the Paul Heyman guys. Rob Van Dam, Cesaro, and Zeb Coulter's guy, Jack Swagger, in a triple threat match at Extreme Rules. And then, as I mentioned, the show ended with Evolution and Shield. We had a singles match between Roman Reigns and Randy Orton. And by this point, before the match even started, it was already, I believe, five minutes after 11. So we were already in overtime, and the match didn't even start yet. So this match may be not the best quality of match. It went by pretty quick so that, you know, the show could end. But uh, it was just an all-out brawl. You saw Evolution Shield. Eventually everyone just kind of interfered in the match. It was a double disqualification. The ref, uh, you know, lost track of the action and it got out of hand. So then we basically had Evolution dominating the Shield, but then the Shield would eventually come back and stand tall and clear Evolution out of the ring. But they did announce that this Friday on SmackDown, Dean Ambrose will be defending his United States Championship finally against, I believe, it is Rybaxel and Alberto Del Rio. And it will be a three-on-one handicap match for the United States Championship. And they just announced that Dean Ambrose in the WWE, he is the longest-reigning United States Champion. He didn't beat out 
uh, Lex Luger's title reign in WCW, but in the WWE, he is the longest reigning United States champion. Wow, that's very interesting. Uh, I do want to get into our predictions for this Sunday's uh, Extreme Rules, but uh, Dominic, I believe you saw the pay-per-view TNA. Uh, yes, you I did. Kindly uh, tell us the results and your opinion about the pay-per-view. That would be greatly appreciated. All right. The pay-per-view on a whole, to me, it seemed like an impact show that we paid to see. All right? The guys busted their ass, but the crowd didn't seem like it was into it, and the crowd really didn't seem to care for whatever reason. The opening match was the Wolves, and I love this team, the American Wolves from Ring of Honor, Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards, in a handicap match, which they didn't, they should, it shouldn't have been even a handicap match. They defeated the Bromans of Robbie E. and Jesse Goddard and DJ Zima Ion in a three-on-two and they won the tag team titles. It was a no-DQ match, so the Wolves are the new tag team champions. The match was excellent, but it didn't have to be three-on-two. Jer- Jeremy Borash interviewed Samuel Shaw, and they're talking about the committed match, which was a padded ambulance outside the arena for his match with Mr. Anderson. And Taz even said, it looks nice in there. It looks nice and cozy. Is a bed. It's painted nice and one nice white color. <laughs> so, brings us to Mr. Anderson against Samuel Shaw, and it was won by Mr. Anderson, and he won with an assist from Christy Hemi, who looked like she was starting to kiss up to Samuel Shaw. First, she slapped him in the face. Then, as the match progressed and went outside. She joined the match outside and gave him a knee right to the groin. Um, when they headed to the backstage area, Mr. Anderson tried to get uh, Jeremy Borash to get a word with Sam Shaw while he was in a headlock, which I thought was kind of stupid, but he dumped him in, in the padded ambulance and they took off. Then we got Kurt Angle and Willow, a.k.a. Jeff Hardy, defeated EC3, and Rockstar Spud. To me, I think Kurt Angle deserves a lot better than that. Uh, yeah. Then we got Nux. We saw video How's footage of Nux. What? How's Kurt Angle look? He looked great. He looked great. He looked just like Kurt. He had the knee all bandaged up. But, um, you know, you can tell he was, he was favoring the knee, but he, he looked good. Um, then we got Nux. Driving around, the girl he's been driving around with, I don't know if, now if it's his girlfriend or his sister. And Eric Young, we got comments from him talking about himself as TNA heavyweight champion that he did what people say would never happen. In the final of the Best of Three series, Japanese star Saya Sonata defeated Tigre Uno to win the Best of Three series and retain the X Division title. And we got friendly handshakes after the match with Sonata helping Tigre Uno to his feet. Um, that's, that's a shine of class and real sportsmanship. Um, Jeremy Borash interviewed James Storm before his match. And Gunner did defeat James Storm in an I Quit match. Gunner was a bloody mess from a beer bottle shot. 
And then Storm quit when Gunner had a piece of the glass and was going to stab his forehead wide open, and he quit. Wow. And both of them were a bloody mess. That that match was great. Jeremy Borat's with the beautiful people backstage. They said they got a surprise for uh, Madison Rain. And Angelina Love with Velvet Sky defeated Madison Rain to win the knockouts title. Velvet Sky, we saw this a million times, sprayed Madison in the eyes with perfume or hairspray or whatever the hell it was, probably nothing at all, um, to give Angelina Love the assist. Jeremy Borash was with Billy Ray, talking about Bobby Roode. And Bobby Roode defeated Bully Ray in a tables match, won with an assist from Dixie Carter, who came out dressed as a tech guy in glasses, baseball cap, a fake beard, black pants, and a long-sleeved black T-shirt trying to hide who she was. Now, first... Oh, my God. Yeah, first I looked at it and I said, looks like Spike Dudley with the glasses and the goatee. And I said, wait a minute. This person has tits. I bet you it's Dixie in disguise. So... Bobby Roode puts Bully Ray through two tables, which were next to each other outside the ring, went through two of them, and Dixie takes off the fake beard and the hat and the glasses, and she says, that'll get teach you a lesson, never to cross the boss, where we heard that line before. Mm-hmm. She's screaming at Bully Ray, don't ever cross me again. Then we got Jeremy Borash with Magnus talking about the main event with him and uh, um, EY, and it was a great match. Eric Young retained the TNA heavyweight title with a win over Magnus. Very good main event. The crowd totally behind uh, EY, but at one point they were going, we want Magnus, EY sucks, almost like a John Cena thing. But he... (laughs) EY wound up winning, and the match was terrific. And how was the crowd, and what was the best match on the card, in your opinion? The crowd was mixed. For whatever reason, they seemed like they were cheering, like, half-heartedly. And to me, it looked like, I said, a glorified uh, impact, but there were a couple of title changes. I enjoyed Storm and Bobby Roode, and I enjoyed EY and, uh, and, and, and Magnus. Great matches there. Everybody worked their asses off. And they got back together for one night only, right? Storm and Rude, is that the deal? It's supposed to be one night only, but everybody loves that team. So who knows what they may do. Yep. That's right. So, uh, JJ, did you uh, see it by any chance? TNA? Yeah. TNA sacrifice. Uh, Dominic said uh, it was, uh, you know, you could say it was kind of like watching Impact, but one thing that you can't take away from the, the guys in TNA is they really do work their ass off, and I think it shows. Even if we've seen some of these matches before, you know, they definitely give 110%. Uh, as he said, I liked uh, the opening with the Wolves and the Bromance and DJZ. I believe it was a no disqualifications match. It was a three-on-two handicap match for the tag titles, and the Wolves prevailed. They did this sort of triple-knee drop kick 
to, uh, to I don't know if it was DJ Ion or, or somebody. It was a pretty cool move. They did, of course, their finishing move, which is a bit of a double stomp, where someone is uh, laying in the middle of the ring, and they go to the opposite ends of the corner, and they sort of do their double stomp. And it's, it's just pretty, it's a cool move. But uh, these guys are really talented, and they, you know, with the odds stacked up against them, three on two, they prevailed as your new TNA Tag Team Champions. Uh, the tag match with EC3 and Rockstar Spud, Kurt Angle and Willow. You know, Kurt did have his knee heavily uh, uh, braced. He had a big uh, black brace over his knee. But as uh, Dominic said, he, he really looked like Kurt Angle. He looked, you know, really good. He moved good. He was, uh, you know, he looked he looked like the Kurt Angle we all know. But, uh, you know, it was an all right match. There was a moment where Jeff Hardy as Willow, he grabbed his crazy umbrella and he did like a Mary Poppins. And next thing you know, the fans are chanting Mary Poppins. <laughs> if you're wondering what I, what I mean by that, well, like I said, he grabbed his umbrella. He has this kind of goofy umbrella, and he climbed up to the top rope. He's on the top turnbuckle. EC3 and Rockstar Spud were outside the ring, and he just kind of dove down while holding the umbrella. It was uh, something you just had to see to believe. It was kind of crazy. And at, at one point in the match, I remember EC3 even did a stinger splash in which he even shouted, Woo! You know, oh, I caught that, yeah. He did sting signature woo and his stinger splash. But, of course, the announcers didn't acknowledge it. But uh, as, as Dominic pointed out, if you're a wrestling fan, you knew that that was a, sort of a not to sting because uh, one of the last people he worked with was uh, EC3. So that's kind of EC3 kind of building his own you know, sort of legacy as the guy who took out Sting and the guy who took out Kurt Angle. So despite all that, Kurt Angle and Willow got the win. So that that was, you know, it was a it was an all right match, but I definitely liked the tag match with the Wolves. Anytime I see them in the ring, it's always awesome. There was a the X Division match, the best of three series with Tigre Uno and Sonata. The first uh, match, Sonata won a few weeks ago, and then Tigre Uno got the second fall. So tonight was uh, tonight. This Sunday at the pay-per-view was the sort of rubber match, the third match in the series. Excellent match with these two guys. You know, there was one point where Tigre Uno did some sort of figure four head and arm bar, which just, it just looked extremely painful. I don't know how he did it, but he sort of locked Sonata's leg in a figure four lock, but still sort of standing over Sonata, he was pulling his head and arm. It was just a crazy move. I don't know how Sonata didn't tap out then. I would have been tapping out as soon as he put the figure four on. But uh, there was even a moment where he did this kind of crazy cradle suplex DDT. If you know a cradle suplex, kind of similar to the perfect plex in which you hold your opponent's leg. But he dropped him like on a DDT. It was just a, a... vicious move. I, I thought he even broke his leg because his head and his leg were touching each other while he was being held in the cradle position and then he was just dropped. It was a, just a vicious move. I, I would love to be Sonata's chiropractor right now. <laughs> you know, uh, and even there was a moment where I think there was a moment where uh, they did a German suplex into the bottom turnbuckle. I mean, these guys were just doing some really crazy moves that either I haven't seen before or I haven't seen in a long time. So uh, definitely props to them. You know, they're a little unknown in TNA, so they're definitely doing everything they can to get noticed. 
You know, you have one Tigre Uno from Mexico, Sonata from Wrestle One Japan, who has, you know, the great uh, Muda stamp of approval. So these guys really, you know, put on uh, the best show that they could. Although I think there was one point where the fans maybe weren't so into the match and they were even chanting for AJ Styles which kind of reminded me of, you know, in the WWE when fans get bored with a match, sometimes they might chant CM Punk, sometimes they might chant JBL or, you know, Michael Cole or Jerry Lawler. This was actually the first time I saw the fans actually kind of maybe not really being into Sonata or TJ Uno just because they're not familiar with them yet, and they were chanting for AJ Styles. So that was a little surprising to me. Yeah, I put that AJ Styles chant too. Yeah. The I Quit matches, like Dominic said, that was awesome. I mean, James Storm, you know, in TNA, this guy has done it all, and he's uh, he's definitely a brawler, man. He'll, he'll brawl with the best of them. But uh, Gunner definitely stepped up. They had a, a nice physical match. I think if you remember their match at, at, at was lockdown, Gunner, uh, I believe he won. I think Gunner won the match with that sort of suplex, the top rope suplex over two folding chairs, and they tried to recreate that as sacrifice, only this time they set up the folding chairs and a guardrail in the middle of the folding chairs, kind of holding, uh, you know, the chairs holding the guarding rail up, and then he delivered that top rope suplex through the the chairs, through the guardrail, just a, a violent move, and as Dominic pointed out, you know, earlier on, James Storm, you know, smash the beer bottle on Gunner, but towards the end of the match, Gunner would grab the broken shards of glass, and he was just about to just carve the hell out of uh, James Storm like he was a Halloween pumpkin, and James Storm quit immediately. He didn't want any more of Gunner's violence, but a uh, great match for Gunner. He's definitely stepping up in TNA. The knockout title match was all right with Angelina Love and Madison Rain. Yeah, we kind of seen them as the beautiful people pull out their, you know, usual bag of tricks. But there was a one moment, I think, I don't know if it was Angelina Love or if it, it might have been Angelina Love where she did. She was on the ring apron and she wanted to do a diving cross body to Madison Rain, who was on the floor, and Madison kind of got out of the way. And you saw basically Angelina Love just take a crossbody and hit nothing. And if you're a woman, the last thing you want to do is hit a crossbody and land flat on the ring. You know, you might rupture something, you know. So uh, these guys, they tried to put everything they could into this match. You know, I think you'll see a better quality of wrestling match in TNA with the knockouts in the women's division. But uh, Angelina Love up to her old tricks, Velvet Sky interfering, and Angelina Love became the new Knockouts champion. The tables match with Bully Ray and Bobby Roode, another really great physical match. You know, Bully Ray is just, uh, whatever he does, whether he's a face or a heel, the guy definitely commands, you know, he has a commanding presence in that ring. Whenever he has a microphone or he's just so physical, and in a tables match, which, of course, is his specialty, how many tables did he put people in, through in ECW and even in the WWE? But, uh, thousands. Def- oh, yeah, thousands, if not, you know, millions. That's just stuff that, you know, we saw on TV. Imagine the, the stuff that wasn't on TV. But uh, this was a great match. I enjoyed it. And uh, at one point, the referee did get knocked down, and Bully put Bobby Roode <laughs> He put uh, Bobby through a table, but the referee was down, didn't see it, 
And then, of course, as Dominic pointed out, there was a stagehand ringside when the ball cast passes and appeared. And I'm thinking, what the hell is this? And sure enough, a lot of the fans that caught this stagehand and they were starting to get excited. I think they kind of knew who it was. And, of course, it was revealed to be Dixie Carter dressed up. We've seen that before where someone is dressed up like a cameraman or something, but something very funny about seeing Dixie with a beard and, you know, those Spike, those, uh, Spike Dudley glasses and stuff. It was, it was kind of a funny moment. But what was very interesting to me was even though she kind of pushed Bully Ray through the tables, you know, the match was between Bully and Bobby Roode, and yet Bobby Roode didn't really have some, so much of a strong presence towards the end of that match. The end of that match was definitely focused on Dixie, uh, Dixie Carter and Bully Ray. So even though Bobby Roode technically won the match, there's definitely a feud going on between Bully and Dixie that will continue for weeks to come. So I'm curious to see how that pans out for Bully Ray. Bully Ray going up against the authority in TNA should make for something very interesting because Bully's one who's not to hold anything back, and everything he says you definitely believe. So... I'm looking forward to their interactions on Impact. And as Dominic pointed out, the main event, very excellent. I really enjoyed the video package they played to kick off the match. The video package basically just consisted of, you know, Eric Young's sort of transition in TNA over the last 10 years. They showed uh, clips of him with Team Canada, which was with Petey Williams, Bobby Roode, and Scott Damore. They showed him as Super Eric when he kind of dressed up like a superhero and they showed him where he kind of dressed up like a luchador. They even showed the, you know, don't fire Eric uh, stuff where fans were holding signs saying, don't fire Eric, you know. So they were definitely showing the history and the changes that EY has made in TNA. You know, he was that guy with that bleach blonde hair, and then he had that, uh, he even shaved it all off, and he was kind of like bald for a little while. And now the EY that we see today with the beard and who is now the TNA world champion. So it was a pretty cool uh, thing to see, you know, for fans who maybe haven't been watching TNA for the last, you know, 12 to 10 years, who maybe aren't too familiar with Eric. He's definitely made a lot of changes in that time, and this is a more serious Eric Young. Now that he's the world champion, he's still kind of, you know, quirky and stuff. That's who, you know, EY is, but he's definitely a lot serious, and when he's in there wrestling, you know, he, he's as serious as a heart attack. Magnus, you know, was trying to get his title back. He thought that EY was a fluke. And at the same time, EY's calling Magnus a paper champion. He's not a, you know, a real champion. But they had a really good match. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. It definitely EY stepped up to the plate. Magnus, too, as well. And, you know, Magnus had nobody in his corner. A lot of people complained in the past that, oh, he had Dixie Carter helping him. Oh, he had, you know, Abyss, the monster Abyss helping him. You know, this time, you know, Magnus was on his own. He was all by himself, and he was, you know, keeping up with EY, and he just didn't get the job done that night. That night was about Eric Young proving that he is a worthy champion in TNA, and I I think he is. I think he deserves this opportunity, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it does for him and what it does for TNA. And uh, what would you say the crowd, how was the crowd uh, scale one to ten, and what was your favorite match of the night? Well, you know the crowd. You know, like any wrestling match, you know there's some matches they're into more, some 
They're a little standoffish. I think maybe they were about a seven. You know, they were into some things. They were into Eric Young. You know, they were into Bully Ray. Maybe not so much the knockouts match. I think they were definitely into the I Quit match. You know, the X Division match, maybe not so much, even though I thought there was some great wrestling there. But, uh, again, these are two guys, you know, Sonata and Tigre Uno, who aren't very known in TNA. They've only really been there for a little over a month or so. But, uh, you know, uh, the whole stuff with uh, Kurt Angle coming back, the fans were happy to see Kurt Angle back. They were definitely cheering for him. They were cheering for Jeff Hardy. And uh, Jeff Hardy is another one of those characters who kind of reminds me of John Cena in a way, where I think fans, I mean, there's fans who love Jeff Hardy, and then there are fans who are getting kind of tired of Jeff Hardy and TNA. He's been champion many times, and they're just kind of, I don't know if they're tired of him, so maybe this Willow character is a chance for him to do something new, something different, and maybe, you know, the fans will get behind Jeff Hardy like they used to. But uh, the Samuel Shaw, Mr. Anderson match, you know, it was, uh, they told some crazy stuff. You know, uh, last week on Impact, they had Mr. Anderson go to Samuel Shaw's house. And, you know, apparently Samuel Shaw still lives with his mother, and he lives, of course, in their basement. And, you know, Mr. Anderson was battling Samuel Shaw in his, in his bedroom, and his bedroom kind of looked like a children's room. It had these big letters of Samuel, and, you know, had little so – kind of, it just felt very childish. I think it even had, like, a chalkboard or something. And then, you know, they're beating the hell out of each other, and then you see that I guess the cameraman is trying to get away from the, the action because it's such close quarters. So the cameraman is running out of the basement, and then you have Samuel Shaw's creepy mother saying, oh, do you want some pie, dear? And it's like, what the hell kind of crud is this? It was just, you know, something to add to Samuel Shaw's creepy character. So uh, it was, you know, that was interesting. But this whole thing, I don't know if it's over with with Samuel Shaw and Christie, as uh, Dominic pointed out, Mr. Anderson, finally he put him in the paddy wagon and sent him off to the crazy farm. So I'm curious to see what happens with Samuel Shaw next. Uh, the bromance, the handicap match, three on two. You know, I enjoy it. The Wolves are awesome. Anytime you see them in the ring, they just work so well. I've seen so many people compare the Wolves to the British Bulldogs, you know, the Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith. You know, there's something about the Wolves that's just really cool. They got that kind of European flavor, but then they got that modern style of today, which is just, you know, that quick, fast pace, you know, flying daredevil action. So, I'm definitely a big fan of the Wolves. I enjoyed the pay-per-view. I don't know if it was their best, but it was a it was a pretty damn good pay-per-view. Yes, and speaking of pay-per-views, uh, this Sunday WWE presents uh, WWE Extreme Rules 2014, and uh, well, let's go over the card in. Uh, the pre-show, we have El Torito uh, uh, versus Hornswoggle. Am I reading that right? Uh, with Heath Slater, Ginger Mahal, and Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Yeah, that is correct. El Torito... Is that the pre-show match? El Torito? Yes, yeah, I believe it is. 
the pre-show match, and it's called a WLC match, and I have no idea what the hell that means. I can't. I know imagine. what it is. Oh God, they're gonna use maybe a step ladder or, or something. Yeah. Uh, oh God. Thank small God chairs, a- small ladders, and small tables. Probably kids' furniture from, I don't know, from some baby oh, no, store no. where you'd buy <laughs> a small desk and a, and little chairs. Yeah. To me, that's, that's really, really freaking ridiculous. Yeah. Well, uh, in any event, I'll go with uh, Hornswoggle. Uh, Dominic, who's your pick? I'd like to go with El Torito, but I don't know if they're giving Hornswoggle a push or not. The three-man band, they actually won a match on Monday Night Raw, but... Torito's the better wrestler. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Torito. But if they want to make it hardcore and use that the baby furniture, I don't know. I'm gonna have to go with uh, with Hornswoggle then. Okay, JJ. Well, uh, it should definitely be a match that uh, we won't forget, even if we want to. But uh, the thing is, you have. El Torito, who has Los Matadors by his side, and then Hornswoggle, who has 3MB. Just by the numbers alone, you have Hornswoggle with three guys in his side compared to El Torito, who has two. So if they interfere in the match at all, you've got to give it up to Hornswoggle. Although I agree with Dominic, I kinda, if I had to go with somebody, I would rather go with El Torito just because I, I know he'll do more sort of interesting things in the ring. He'll maybe fly around. He's a, you know, he's a pretty entertaining wrestler if you put him out there to do his thing. But uh, Hornswoggle might surprise. He might shock the world and get the victory over El Torito in this WLC match. Wow, that would be, uh, that would be something else uh, if we see that. But, of course, that's only the uh, pre-show. We do have other matches there, as uh, Biggie Langston will now take on, where is it, Bad News Parrot as a result of the tournament. Uh, Let's start with you, Blackjack, uh, let me start with you on that one. Blackjack, let me start with you on that one. Blackjack? Blackjack fell asleep. Blackjack. Probably. <laughs> All right, Dominic, let me get your thoughts on that one. All right. Uh, Biggie and Bad News. What? Biggie and Bad News Barrett. Yeah, mixed reactions for this one. I like Biggie Langston. He was doing real good for a while. Retained. Uh, defending the belt and being in six-man matches against against the, the the Wyatts and even against the Shield, but it seems like I don't know they maybe lost faith in the guy because they really weren't doing nothing. He's like an oblivion right now. I got a feeling they're going to give Bad News Barrett another chance. He's had about 65 chances. I like the guy. I think he's got a lot of potential. I'm going to go with Wade Barrett to to take that belt. I think it's a meaningless belt, but I think it's time for changing of the guard. Uh, JJ, 
Yeah, um, I got to agree with Dominic. I do like Big E. I think uh, he could be a, a great intercontinental champion if given the right circumstance and opportunity. He's very athletic. He's very big. He's uh, he's even got a very entertaining character. When you see him, he's always doing either voices or making silly faces. But for some reason, he definitely lost some momentum going into this pay-per-view. And I don't think that the WWE is really looking for him to continue with this title. And they're really pushing Bad News Barrett. And this whole bad news, you know, when Wade comes out, and he says, you know, I got some bad news. And the fans seem to react to it. And, you know, that's what you want. Even though they mentioned, you know, Wade Barrett is a former four-time intercontinental champion, if you can believe that. He's had this title four times before. Probably a lot of people don't even remember because they didn't care. Hopefully I didn't remember. Now, <laughs> you know, hopefully now yeah, they can they're into this bad news Barrett character because it seems like they are reacting to it. So maybe this would be a great opportunity for him to, you know, finally carry the Intercontinental title and to carry it in a way that fans remember with this bad news uh, character. So I got to go with Wade Barrett. I think it's uh, definitely on, it's his time right now. All right, Blackjack, are you with us? Hello, King. You hear me? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was saying Who's earlier on uh, the little midget is going to take uh, beat Hornswoggle because it's on Cinco de Mayo Day, May oh. uh, 5th. So I look yeah. for that little uh, the little burrito to uh, take it, take that <laughs> match. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about Biggie? Yeah, I, and... I think uh, I think his time in, in the sun. That's about it. So you're gonna go with Mr. Langston or that title that night? Wade Barrett will take that title since he uh, defeated um, uh, Rob Van Dam, which I was disappointed in. But uh, I'd rather see Rob Van Dam take it. But it's a new time and era right now. Well, Rob Van Dam was eliminated, right, JJ? Right. Yes, he was eliminated on Monday Night Raw when Cesaro interfered in the match and cost RVD the title. Damn. And he's not even on the pay-per-view, right? Yes, he is. He is? Yes, he is. He is. They have a full threat match at the pay-per-view. It will be Cesaro. Oh, oh yes. Guy yes. Rob Van Let's um, get to that match. Jack Swagger with Zebekiah against RVD, against Cesaro. I'm going to pick, since they're pushing Cesaro, I'm going to pick Cesaro. What about you, JJ? Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to imagine with Cesaro winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Cup, you have to go with him. He's got the momentum. And if he doesn't win, then I question what the hell they're thinking at the WWE, why they would have him win that Andre the Giant Battle Royal at WrestleMania 30 and then just to drop right. the ball and lose in this match. Cesaro's got the momentum. He's got Paul Heyman in his corner. I, I don't think he can lose, but it should be a, a really great match with RVD and even Jack Swagger and Zeb Coulter will make their presence known as well. But i got to go with Cesaro. Uh, Dominic. All right, I want to see Cesaro win. I think he deserves it. I think he's on a main, a, a, a great streak right now, but I think he's going to lose. 
I think he's going to get so involved with Swagger, he's going to forget the match, and RVD is going to sneak in something and take that victory. Good point. Hmm. And I see a lot of interaction with Paul Heyman and with uh, with Zeb Coulter. Last night was hysterical when he had him by the mustache. <laughs> JBL said, he's got him by the mustache. You're not supposed to touch a guy's mustache. What's he trying to do, rip it off of him? <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, that's your pick there. And, J.J., we got your pick? Yeah, definitely Cesaro. Cesaro, Cesaro, and uh, Blackjack, do we get your I pick? I agree with what Dominic said, but uh, I don't think Cesaro is going to uh, win. Okay, and they, if you uh, want... He deserves a tainted win right now like that. Exactly. And a two-on-one handicap match, we got... Alexander, what is that, Rusev? Rusev. With Lena versus Xavier Woods and R-Truth. Give me Xavier Woods. JJ? Yeah, I mean, this is a handicap match. It will be R-Truth and Xavier Woods taking on Alexander Rusev, and Rusev will have his valet in his corner, Lena, who they're deeming the ravishing Russian. But uh, even though they have Alexander Rusev squashing people left and right, you know, I have to wonder how long that's going to last. And eventually that's going to have to come to an end. But I don't know if R-Truth and Xavier Woods are the ones to do it. I don't know. They haven't really done much lately. They're, even as a tag team, they've been fighting Rusev, and they've been getting handled to him and uh, – I don't know. I think they're trying to push Rusev as this, you know, big beast from NXT. I don't know if he's going to sink or swim in the WWE right now in the main roster. I don't know if the fans are really taking to him yet. But uh, I, I would just assume that the WWE would just continue to push Rusev and give him a, a win at review. So I, I think they should team this guy up with with Albert. Oh. With With Albert. They brought Albert back uh, like he was a long time uh, big big star in Japan. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who I'd bring in? I'd bring back Vladimir Kozlov. Yes. And Team yeah, Kozlov with Rusev. Yeah, I, I like that. They're, they're you big, could make they're... a big killer team out of them two guys. Definitely. Oh yeah. How long has it been since uh, Kozlov? Has not been in WWE. Years. Well, when was when was the last time he wrestled? I'd say about three years ago, maybe more. Maybe a, a uh, twenty and and. Uh, yeah, he was the Russian guy, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he had that big force, and then they did nothing with him. Did he get caught with a? Drug, you know, did he no. get caught in the third strike thing? Was he one of those guys? No. No, I don't think so. He was one of the three guys uh, that was with William Regal. It was Regal, him, and Ezekiel Jackson in the dying days of ECW. Yeah. Then they then he had that both. small feud with Triple H, which he lost. Oh, then yeah. 
yeah. him and they put him up with Santino Morella and they turned him into a comedian. Oh, yeah, that was god-awful when they did that, too. Oh, boy, that was the beginning of the end. Yep. Uh, for that one. Uh, well, Dominic, what's your uh, take on that next match? Well, he was beating, he, he's been beating the hell out of these guys, Xavier Woods and R-Truth, for the last couple of weeks. And you guys are right. Black they haven't been doing anything with R-Truth. They haven't been doing anything with R-Truth and Xavier even as a team. So if they want to... Jack, Jack, can you please put your dog away? Oh, here, puppy. <laughs> but so, she has petrol. Yeah, so. thunderstorm down here. That's what's if they, going on. If, <laughs> I'm going to have to mute this. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, Evolution, Triple H, Randy Orton, and Batista takes on the shield of Dean Ambrose. Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. Been thinking about this for a while, and I think the Shield's going to take it. So say you, uh, JJ. You know, while I like the Shield, I think they're on a roll. They're proving they're the most dominant force in WWE. I got to go with Evolution just because we don't know what's going to happen with Ric Flair. Will he be on the show? Did we see the last of him on Monday Night Raw? Will he interfere? With the, we don't even know what kind of match it will be. This is extreme rules, and they haven't really had a sort of a, a, uh, a match stipulation set yet. Is it no disqualifications? Is it a street fight? You know, Is it a tables match? I don't know. But uh, they haven't really set a stipulation yet. I have a feeling maybe the day of the pay-per-view they might announce it as a no disqualifications match. So Unless maybe they make the fans vote. It could be a yeah, there would be app votes where you yep. vote uh, on the app. So I'm not sure what the stipulation is, but I got to figure out Triple H will find a way to worm his way and get the win, just so that the Shield will continue to feud with them and try to get vengeance later on. I mean, if the Shield gets the win now, what do you do after that? But if the Evolution wins, you know, the Shield can continue to fight against the machine. So. I think I would give it to Evolution just for that fact alone. Yeah, you make a good point. All right, Blackjack, what do you say? Evolution of the Shield. At this point in time, I would go with the Evolution. Okay, Dominic. I'm going to go with Evolution. For some reason, they were always were saying the Shield is going to fall apart, cracks in the chinks in the armor, cracks in the armor, whatever. I think there's going to be a crack in the armor with Evolution. Triple H, to me, is a glory hound. I think Batista maybe thinks who he is lately. Randy Orton has gotten more to the fans liking him. So if them three are able to get along and maybe separate the shield and then make Roman Reigns the breakout star like they want to do, then Evolution will go over. But if if they want to keep them as a trio for still for a while, let them go over the authority. Even if Ric Flair comes out and causes Evolution to lose, yeah. they could still have a rematch and say, we lost because Flair stuck his nose in it. We want you guys again. And then maybe do a cage match. Or like they originally thought they were going to do, it was going to be a War Games match. Hmm. Which that they could always save for another pay per view. 
Oh, absolutely. So say you, JJ. Yeah, I mean, you make some great points while the Shield, you know, are dominant and they could easily get the win, which I kind of hope they do because I'm a huge fan of all three guys. But uh, like I said, I still think Evolution will have to prove that they're the team to beat and that uh, they have to somehow one-up, you know, the Shield so they they can continue the storyline. Because if Shield gets the win, what do you do after that? So if Evolution gets the win, the Shield will still continue to fight against the machine, and Evolution will do everything they can to make their lives miserable. So I think Evolution would would, uh, get the win, but it wouldn't surprise me if Shield pull a a big upset. You know what would be a pretty good angle? If the Shield wins, Triple H will get so frustrated, he'll get pissed at Orton and Batista. And I could see him every Monday night going crazy, trying to get guys to work with him against the Shield, and him being turned down by Big Show. Mark Henry will tell him, get lost. Um, any of Ryback and Curtis Axel will say, we got our own business. We ain't involved with you, Triple H. We ain't helping you fight your, battle, uh, your battles. Then you can stick Triple H in the three-on-one matches like they were doing with Daniel Bryan and see how good he does. Boy, that would be uh, that would be different. <laughs> that definitely well, would be different. Well, we could different. have Stephanie come out, flash those fantastic tits, and throw and throw the shield off because they'd be looking there, and they could uh, Evolution could hit all their signature moves, and that's how they'll win. Stephanie could say on Monday Night Raw, "If it wasn't for my tits, you guys would have lost." <laughs> Well, that's definitely a possibility. Is it? We shall then see. I'm ordering it. <laughs> uh, we have a uh, Divas match with uh, Tamina Snuka, Jimmy Snuka's daughter, taking on the champion Paige. I'm going to go with Snuka. JJ, who are you going to go with? Yeah, it's tough uh, for me because, you know, I'm familiar with Paige. I, uh, once I got the WWE Network, I started watching NXT, so I'm familiar with Paige. I think there's an audience out there in the WWE who doesn't know who she is. And I remember watching, was it Monday Night Raw a week or two ago, and the fans were pretty dead. They didn't uh, seem to be taking the page. So I'm curious whether or not the WWE will continue to have her be the Divas champion if a lot of the fans don't even really recognize her. But at the same time, they did bring her up to the main roster. They had her defeat A.J. Lee, who was the longest reigning Divas champion. She defended the Divas title for the first time at WrestleMania. So it's kind of a big deal in the women's division. So I would think that they put the title on Paige. I don't know if they're ready to take it off just yet. But if they do, Tamina would be the one to do it. I mean, she's a powerhouse. You mentioned the daughter of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. You know, she's definitely a, a monster in the Divas division, and she could destroy Paige. But I think somehow Paige will then be that uh, champion who you're never sure if she's going to win or not. You know, you, it leaves that excitement that she could be beat at any night. But uh, I think right now, just because she just got brought up, it would be too soon to take the title off her. So I would think somehow Paige will find a way to get the win and retain her Divas title. Uh, Dominic, who's your pick? All right, see, 
JJ's right. He gets the NXT. He knows what Paige can do. I don't. I think she's in there over her head. Um, I don't even think she should have lost to AJ, but that's what they did. Because AJ, I'm hearing, may not even come back because she's now married to Punk. And uh, Tamina has been overlooked every time. I think it's about time that uh, they gave it to Tamina. She's, I got some pictures of her, and she is gorgeous, as well as being tough in the ring. I'm going, I'm going with Tamina Snooker to take that. All right, Blackjack. I'm going with Paige to uh, retain the title. Inside a steel cage. Uh, this is a rematch of WrestleMania, except in steel cage. Ray Wyatt taking on John Cena. I will go with Bray Wyatt to win this match to keep this feud hot and heavy. Uh, what about you, JJ? Yeah, as you pointed out, you know, I had Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania, and I was shocked when John Cena got the win, but as we pointed out, at WrestleMania, it was a little bit different. It was all about Bray Wyatt breaking John Cena. They kept mentioning that they didn't care if Bray won or not. He just wanted to break Cena. So right away, you're thinking, well, then it doesn't really matter if he wins. So, of course, Cena won, and I was a little disappointed, but now... We're starting to see that maybe Bray Wyatt did get to John Cena, and maybe he is, you know, John Cena is breaking, and he finally got to that boiling point. But uh, I would go with Bray Wyatt, as you pointed out, to keep the feud going. You know, eventually, if he does beat Cena, then Cena would want some type of redemption so they could even issue a third match down the line. But the, the interesting thing they pointed out is with this cage match is that Bray Wyatt, of course, has his followers. And the fact that the match is inside a steel cage, if he escapes, then he really is able to spread his message to everyone outside the cage and into the WWE Universe. And they made a point of saying that, you know, right now he's locked in the cage with Cena. And, you know, the Wyatt family members, Eric Rowan, Luke Harper, are outside the ring. They can't really do a whole lot. They can try to stop or prevent Cena from escaping. I don't know if they're going to count pinfalls and submissions inside the cage. I'm assuming it's just an escape match, but I guess we'll see on Sunday. But uh, I got to go with Bray just because, like I said, it keeps the feud going. And with it, I just I want to see Bray get that win just to see what it does to Cena because we've been seeing Cena a little different each and every week. And uh, Monday Night Raw, I saw Cena defeated like I haven't seen since WrestleMania 28 when he lost to The Rock, and he was sitting at the entrance ramp, and he was just so disappointed in himself. And right now it seems that he's disappointed, not just in himself, but he's disappointed in the WWE Universe. So that's very interesting, and I'm hoping Bray Wyatt can keep this uh, going and to keep playing these mind games and wear Cena down that we see a different side to John Cena because we've seen the hustle, loyalty, respect for the last 10 years. It's time for a new Cena, and this is the time to do it. I'm not saying it's going to happen at the pay-per-view, but we're seeing a different layer to John Cena. So I like where this is going. So I'm going with Bray. Okay. uh, How about you, Dominic? I'm going to go with Bray Wyatt, too. Um Providing the other two guys don't climb into the ring and make it three-on-one. I don't want to see that. I want to see a straight-up one-on-one in the cage. 
Bray Wyatt gained a lot of momentum going into Sunday after what that thing was on Monday, doing like the Children of the Corn scary kind of shit. And uh, Bray Wyatt has got the momentum behind him. John Cena is annoyed at the fans and annoyed at himself for not backing him more. So I think uh, that's going to prey on Bray Wyatt on John Cena's mind, which is the way Bray Wyatt is trying to get into John Cena's mind. And he's in there. He's in John Cena's head. And I don't think he's leaving. I think it's time for Bray Wyatt. Okay, Blackjack, your take. And if anything, I think Cena will defeat himself. But uh, I, I'm going to go with Cena to, to, to win this match. Okay, the if main he event. Him, he can kick him outside the cage, right? He can kick, kick him through the door or something. That's true. Yeah, can, yeah, yeah. That's true too. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can see that in uh, how he can defeat himself, you know. But yeah, I, I, I still kind of think uh, I'm leaning more towards uh, Cena to, to beat him, you know. But um, if, if anything, the outcome could be uh, uh, Cena defeating himself by kicking uh, Wyatt over the cage or through the door or something like that. I, I've seen matches like that happen before. Oh yeah. Uh, definitely happened like that in the old school, but uh, things don't happen like that. Tell you that, it looks like it. And in the event, the main event, Kane, uh, Kane in Extreme Rules match against Daniel Bryant. Daniel Bryant is the lucky pick, and uh, I think he'll figure out a way to beat the seven foot Kane, JJ. So say you. Well, it should be interesting whether or not this is even in the main event. With Evolution on the card, with John Cena on the card, will Daniel Bryan main event his first uh, pay-per-view by defending his title? I'm curious to see. I would love to see him end the show, but I hate to see him you know, fall victim to what happened with Punk, where Punk was champion for 15 months and he only main evented four pay-per-views. So I'm hoping Daniel Bryan gets his uh, uh, main event in there. This is a extreme rules match, I believe. So finally, the pay-per-view kind of lives up to uh, its own slogan. It's extreme rules. It should be an extreme rules match. And Daniel Bryan definitely wants to get payback to Kane, who brutally assaulted him uh, on Monday Night Raw a few weeks ago, and he did those three tombstone pile drivers. I definitely think we'll see a very vicious side of Daniel Bryan, which should be awesome to see. He already has a very intense, quick, fast-paced style. I think he'll definitely be amped up to 11 uh, with his match against Kane. I think Kane will be the same Kane we've seen before. He'll be playing up that sort of, uh, you know, uh, Satan's favorite demon. But uh, I definitely think Daniel Bryan will be on fire, and he shall definitely show that in the match, and I think it'll be a, a really good match. I, I got to go with Daniel Bryan. He's really hot right now. He just had the excellent, uh, you know, match at WrestleMania where he finally won the titles. And, you know, he's married. He unfortunately, he lost his father. But uh, he's got to have the momentum on his side. And I think the, all the fans are pulling for him. I can't imagine uh, Kane being the WWE World Champion unless there's some sort of, you know, interference by the authority. But they're so busy with Evolution and the Shield that I don't think they're going to interfere in this match. I'd be surprised if they do, but I don't think they will. They got their hands full already. So this should be a just simple one-on-one match. 
Daniel Bryan, Kane, Extreme Rules, and Daniel Bryan walking out, still your WWE World Champion. Uh, absolutely, uh, Dominic. Yeah, I see Daniel Bryan retaining. Back in the day, I was one guy that always wanted to see Kane get a long-term um, run run with the heavyweight title. But that's way too right. far in the past. I don't see it happening now. Daniel Bryan's been beat up. He's been hurt. He's been done everything to on Monday Night Raw. So he's going to get some revenge, not only on the authority, but he's going to beat the big red machine too. And I think Stephanie is going to start screaming at at uh, at, at Kane, and I'm going to see Kane choke slam Stephanie and become Uh-oh. a good guy again, and say I'm sick of being pushed uh-huh. around. I was I was the muscle for the authority. I'm Stephanie's lackey. I'm not doing it no more. I'm going back to being the monster that I was back in the day, and I ain't going to take nobody's crap. Not from Stephanie, not from Triple H, not from nobody. Deal with that. I'd definitely like to see that scenario play out. Blackjack. I agree with you. Uh, Dominic. I mean, I'd love to see that kind of uh, uh, move, especially wrestling nowadays. But uh, I guess that's a thing of the past, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, realistically, uh, at this point in time, you got to say, Brian, uh, yep. Probably uh, uh, keep retain the title. Uh, I, I don't see uh, him uh, dropping the title at this point in time. What he's been through a hell of a lot. I've never seen a guy get the, the beat down the way he did in all, all these weeks, man. Getting handcuffed and tombstone through the steel steps and stuff like that. So I could see him still retaining that title. Especially he got screwed over at uh, Royal Rumble. So. Yeah. For him to maintain that title. Okay, uh, earlier this week, WWE officials YouTube showed The Undertaker versus Thing, sort of, in a fantasy match. Now, if you could see it live, it was very goosebumps, but I will play it for you guys and then we'll get some reaction on the other side. Oh, here Let's we go again. When a man's heart is full of deceit, it burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse, a wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator, someone to strike fear into the black hearts of the same man who created him. The battle between good and evil has begun. It's showtime, folks! Two legends, the most anticipated match in history! I am the most dangerous entity that has ever stepped in this ring. The crown is jewel, the franchise, me, the demon of Death Valley, the phenom, the Undertaker. I will unleash a fury that no mortal man has ever seen. The only thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. You will rest in peace. Oh, wow. That definitely gives you the chills, uh, JJ. Coming from their official YouTube, 
You saw it, JJ. What is your take? Yeah, I mean, I did see the video when the WWE released it. I believe I even saw King Jordan Radio's page on Facebook repost it. You know, I saw it. I enjoyed it. I did get chills. It's something we've all dreamed about. Do I think it's going to happen? I think no. I mean, the whole point of this is it's a fantasy match. And if you look up fantasy in the dictionary, it is a faculty of, of, of activating imaginary things, things that are impossible or improbable, an occurrence to fantasize about. There's no definition of reality in that definition of fantasy. And it, Didn't I tell that to King last week? It very well could Didn't be. Didn't I just, tell that to the king last week? Right now we know Sting what? will 100% Sting will be at WrestleMania 31. In what capacity, I don't know. He'll probably wrestle his final match. But the biggest question I have is The Undertaker. What will happen with The Undertaker? His chances of being at WrestleMania 31 are 0% right now. We don't know his condition. We don't know if he will be able to have that last match, just based on his performance at WrestleMania 30, we saw a different kind of Undertaker. This was an Undertaker who wasn't at top of his game. He did have a concussion, so maybe he was a little off, and Brock Lesnar dominated him. But uh, the biggest question is his health, his condition. He passed out backstage. Vince McMahon himself left WrestleMania 30 to go to the hospital and be by Undertaker's side. That's how serious it got. So I don't know if Undertaker will be at WrestleMania 31. I do know Sting will be there in some way, shape, or form. But as far as a match between the two, I think it's just like what they posted on W.com. It is a fantasy. It isn't a reality yet. Well, Dominic, they put that on on their official uh, page. What do you think? Yeah, I saw that video, and if anybody could have broken the streak of The Undertaker, I would have wanted it to be Sting. But then again, I want to see The Undertaker. I wanted to see The Undertaker retire with the the streak intact, only they did it to make Brock Lesnar win it. Now, if they want to do Sting and Undertaker and make Sting win it, That'll be two in a row that Undertaker lost. And if you want to try and build up the two guys that beat Undertaker, Brock against Sting, you think Sting can still hang with Brock? Or is Sting too too old to hang with Brock Lesnar? Well, if you look at his TNA days, which weren't that long ago, you know, six weeks now, Right, and uh, they have a the training there in the uh, Connecticut. Uh, you know, it's high tech now. Uh, Sting keeps himself in good shape for a man his age, and yeah, I don't I see so why too. Sting can't wrestle uh, at least one, two, three more, four matches uh, as we get closer to uh, the next WrestleMania. As Sting, out of his own mouth, said, "31 is is his new favorite number." And Sting, of course, has been in the new documentary for Warrior that yes. is exclusively on the WWE Network, and it's also on YouTube. But uh, You make it sound like uh, the Sting is 31 years old himself. He's not. I'm yeah, telling you what Sting said. Not more. Sting said 31 is his favorite number. That came out of his mouth. That's not like that. That's his age. 
I know, but he said that, and every and a lot of people mean, think that that means that WrestleMania 31 is that's where he's going to make his appearance. He's going to be ready to go, but uh, you know, physically, we'll have to we'll have to see if he's you know keeps doing what he's doing. He would love to get in the ring, I'm sure. And, he, and as I said before, he's still uh, obligated to the uh, contract where he can't, there's no uh, complete clause in that contract. So by that time, I'm not sure about that. we're nearing he, he, the time. He's done videos already with WWE. Yeah, but he's not actually you know? wrestling. He can't wrestle as of yet in this organization of WWE right now. You can see all the fancy stuff you want, but at this present time, he, he can't physically wrestle. Now, I will tell you, he will be wrestling at WrestleMania he right that time. by that time. He can't, he'll probably be able to. He got, uh, by that time, definitely. There's no year hold off. Not by any stretch. He's got a, a kind of contract that he wasn't put on to anyone else in that organization. He had an exclusive contract with uh, TNA and with WCW at the time. Exclusively WCW. kind of a contract where he couldn't uh, uh, sign there is himself over to anyone The what? Is WCW is long gone. I'm talking about at the time when they, people were trying to uh, say that uh, he was trying to uh, get out of the contract at the time like that. You even reported it at one time, which was so. You know, and uh, even uh, Dixie Carter right. tried to uh, get a hold of you at, at the time. But, well, the uh, thing he, is, he's got an the thing is so marketable. Yes, it's those thing sell tickets absolutely. It Ric Flair was wrestling at an older age, and uh, I see no reason. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that Sting will wrestle uh, for the WWE. Come hell or high water. So, uh, you can mark that down. It ought to be a cool match. Put Sting against Shawn Michaels. Well, yeah. Then, you got issues with the retirement. They'd have to have an angle how Shawn Michaels came out of retirement. I guess Sting would have to, you know, ask Shawn Michaels in the storylines, quote-unquote, to come out of retirement. Yeah. Uh, Make it the showstopper but, against the icon. That's it. Yeah, Daniel Bryan pointed out in '99. Uh, he asked Shawn Michaels, and he said, "No, I'm not coming back." Three years later, he's wrestling Triple H at SummerSlam. Yep. And JJ, uh, do you remember seeing that in the Daniel Bryan uh, documentary? Yes, uh, I remember, but the difference was back then when he broke his back, he didn't officially retire in his match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was just his un- his retirement unannounced. You know, he didn't think he could wrestle again because of his back. Now he had the retirement match with The Undertaker. And out of respect for The Undertaker, I don't think Sean would come back. A lot of people wanted Sean to wrestle Daniel Bryan and Sean wouldn't come back because of his retirement with The Undertaker. You know, that, that's sacred to him. Just like Ric Flair, even though Ric Flair wrestled in TNA, he wrestled other places, his retirement match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, you know, I don't think he's going to break that. Plus, I don't know if Ric Flair could pass a physical. Hogan didn't pass it. 
Foley didn't pass it. So I don't know if Ric Flair could pass a physical. I don't know if Undertaker could pass a physical. I think Sting could. Even at 55 years old, I think he has, you know, as you pointed out, a few more matches left in him, you know, by WrestleMania 31 next year. But, uh, you know, whether or not we see Sting and HBK, it's another one of those fantasy matches. I don't know if we're going to see it, though. All right. Y2J, Chris Jericho defeated Triple H. Was that the best match on Raw? Let's take a listen. 14 years ago this week on April 17, 2000, one of the most famous angles in Raw history took place. One of my favorites. Chris Jericho's phantom title win over Triple H in State College, Pennsylvania. Raw absolutely slaughtered Nitro that night. 6.7 to 2.5 in the ratings. That's how far away WWE had gotten with that race uh, or that war. Can you even call it a war at that point when it's that one-sided? Uh, the angle was very simple. Uh, Jericho had been, I think Jericho had been making comments about Triple H and Stephanie. There was something there. The show opened, and they were going to have a match, and Jericho used his mouth, as only he could, to uh, coax Triple H into putting his title on the line. This was six days before Backlash. Triple H was going to defend the title against The Rock, and he got him to make it a championship match, and Jericho had invested in an insurance policy for the match, which turned out to be Bradshaw and Farouk, the APA. Uh, to make sure there were no shenanigans. And so they had a match to open the show. It was actually a really good match, and it built to a ref bump. And so with the referee down, it might have been Mike Chioda, out comes Earl Hebner. Now, Earl Hebner had been part of the McMahon-Helmsley storyline. I think he may have been suspended or, or something happened, and it was kind of surprising for, for Triple H to see that Earl Hebner had come out to officiate his match. And I think Triple H shoved him. Earl shoved him back. No, what happened is Earl shoved him. And then Triple H shoved Earl down to the mat. And when Triple H turned around, he turned into a spinning heel kick from Jericho. Jericho did a lion salt, went for the pin. Earl crawled over, fast-counted, new champion. Place went nuts. It was so awesome. It was great. And Jericho quickly grabbed the title. He ran up the ramp. Triple H went to go after him, but the APA held him back. He was beside himself. He couldn't believe it. Lillian announced Jericho as the champion. It was, it was great. It was awesome. And they went to commercial, came back from commercial. Triple H was in the back with Shane. Uh, he grabbed Earl, dragged him back to the ring, forced him to admit that he had fast-counted him. They even showed a replay of it. Mike Chioda looked up. He said, you know, you fast-counted him, Earl. You fast-counted Triple H. You screwed him. And Earl said, I did screw you. He basically admitted it. And Triple H said, what you're going to do is you're going to reverse that decision and go backstage and get my belt. And Earl said, I'll do it on one condition. You've got to promise that you and your wife, all of you, promise never to put your hands on me again as long as I'm a WWE official. And that was the key. And Triple H said, let me get this straight. As long as you're a WWE official, we can't put our hands on you. He says, you know what? You've got a deal. And Jericho wasn't going to wait for Hebner to come back. He came out on stage and made a joke about Stephanie being a whore and sleeping with all the boys. And he gave up the belt, and Earl put it around Triple H's waist. And, of course, a great heel, which Triple H was back then, we were just talking about heels a few minutes ago, said, by the way, Earl, you're fired. <laughs> so, therefore, Earl was no longer a WWE official. That was the cue to kick him in the gut. He gave him a pedigree. Jim Ross was absolutely disgusted by this on commentary. I think he said it was, like, the worst thing he had ever seen in his life or something like that. 
And I remember as a fan watching that and just being so deflated, you know, like, ah, oh, come on. It was like it never happened. But looking back, I mean, it was a, it was a fabulous angle. It was great. And Triple H lost the belt to The Rock anyway six days later. But definitely one of the best angles in Raw history. JJ, do you remember that? And if so, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, of course I remember that. At that time, I was a huge fan of Chris Jericho. I even went out and saw his band Fozzie uh, perform here in Chicago. And this was a very interesting time because Jericho said in an interview that, you know, he had debuted in the WWE in 99 and he was hoping it would be you know completely different than wcw we didn't know what to do with him didn't want to give him an opportunity to be a big star here he was promised he could be a star and yet he was with the WWE for a few months maybe a year and he wasn't doing anything in fact uh, the night before on sunday night heat if you remember the WWE used to do sunday night heat you know he lost he lost the match against i don't know who uh, you know nobody really important, but he lost on Sunday Night Heat, and, you know, going into Raw on Monday, he was really questioning whether or not he wanted to be in the WWE anymore. He thought it was just another WCW, and they were just going to jerk him around, and he was really serious about quitting, and then all of a sudden, I forgot who it was, one of the agents or whatever, told him, hey, we're going to put the title on you tonight, and he was like, what? Are you serious? And he said, yeah, we're going to put the title on you, and then sure enough, when you saw the match, I remember the fans really gave Jericho a huge ovation, especially when he won. He won that WWE Championship for the first time, and he beat Triple H, and this was at the peak of the McMahon-Helmsley era. You know, the, the place blew the roof off the joint. I was so happy for Jericho, finally a world champion in the WWE, just in wrestling period. And then, of course, in typical Triple H fashion, he found a way. He says, wait a minute, you know, the referee fast-counted. You know, there was this altercation. He was, he screwed me. And then, you know, in typical WWE fashion, they took the title off Jericho, and they said they had to reverse the decision. Kind of, uh, you know, it was this really big moment for Chris Jericho, only to be taken away as if it never happened. It was erased from the record books. And, you know, you could even compare it maybe a few months ago when Daniel Bryan won the WWE title against John Cena only to have Randy Orton cash in money in the bank at SummerSlam. You were very happy for Bryan who won his first WWE title. He was the world champion before that, but this was his first time as the WWE champion. And fans were so happy. There was confetti. It was such a great moment. And then they just took it away just like that. They did the same thing to Chris Jericho, and they erased that moment from it ever happening, and it would be a few years before Chris Jericho would become the undisputed champion or the first ever undisputed champion. But that night in 2000, I'll never forget on Monday Night Raw when Jericho had his phantom reign as the WWE champion. It was a, a great moment, but uh, of course they took it away, and Triple H just being the top heel that he was at the time. And uh, it was a great moment, and it, it just goes to show you because a lot of people were watching. 6.7 people were watching that compared to today, which is maybe half of that. They're lucky to get a three or a four. So, I mean, that just goes to show you how an exciting time it was. You know, wrestling was in the Attitude Era, and it was a, a great moment. Even though the title was taken away from him, I'll never forget how happy I was for Chris Jericho at that time. Absolutely. Dominic, 
Do you remember oh, that time? Yeah. That was good to it. I was a big fan of Chris Jericho from the days in Mexico as Corazon de Leon. And when he won that title on Monday Night Raw, I was a happy son of a bitch. I said, finally, Chris Jericho is winning this belt. Yeah. And then when they reversed it and took it right away from him, I said, what the hell kind of crap is this? I said, at least it's Raw and we didn't pay for it. <laughs> That's a good point. Blackjack, do you remember that? I remember that. 110 percent, one of the greatest nights of uh, Jericho's life. Yeah. And uh, I thought for sure he had won the title, as did everybody who was not backstage or in the booking committee. Uh, Such a shame that uh, he didn't win it that night because, uh, wow, I was very excited. So was the whole audience. They were all marking out to Jericho. And rightfully yeah. so at that time. You know, I don't know why they reversed the decision. Do you remember exactly why, J.J.? As they pointed out, actually, I would like to say really quick, when uh, they mentioned Jericho was taking a dig at Stephanie, again, Jericho was really hot then in 2000. He was doing his Raw, his Jericho. Yeah, everyone acknowledges him as his great promos. But he acknowledged Stephanie McMahon is a line I'll never forget. And he would call her a dirty, bottom-feeding, trash-bag hoe. And that's the line I'll never forget. It was that's just it. Yeah, and, that's how it goes. I forgot I forgot all of it, but that's it. Yeah, trash, I mean, it yeah, yeah, bottom-feeding, yeah. Trash-bag hoe. But so, yeah, the reason for that was there was an altercation with Earl Hebner and Triple H. And, you know, Earl, even if you watch his matches, even in TNA, you know, he has it where if the, a wrestler puts his hands on him, he kind of pushes him back. He's always surprisingly getting very physical with the talent. You know, he never lets anyone really push him around. And in that case, Triple H kind of pushed him around. And then, you know, Chris Jericho took advantage of that. And he was, Triple H was distracted by Earl Hebner, if you can believe. All the people distracting Triple H, Earl Hebner, the referee, Jericho took advantage, nailed him with a lion salt, and Earl, who was just kind of pissed off at Triple H for being up in his face and putting his hands on him, he did deliver a fast count, and they did take the title off Chris Jericho, unfortunately. And that was back in the year 2000, right? Yes, 2000. I get a okay. kick at Earl Hebner. Every time they knock him down, he holds his leg in the same spot. <laughs> and then he hobbles over trying to make the three count, dra- dragging that leg. So that means yeah. Earl Hebner's out of the WWE 14 years already. Yeah. Wow. wow. I tell you, if he was still in the WWE, he could have been in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah imagine that. I don't think there's a referee in the Hall of Fame, is there? No. No, there should be, though. Yeah. Mike Yoda comes to mind. He's how been there Red, since the 90s. How about Red Shoes Dugan? Oh, my oh? God, from the Olympic. Johnny Red Shoes Dugan, yep. Back in the day, they had <laughs> Lou Super. Hey, the dangerous Danny Davis was funny when he used to turn oh, on Danny the uh, Davis, faces. Yep. Oh yeah. Our Had current commissioner. 
absolutely. Okay, uh, the question on this next clip, are there any true heels in pro wrestling? Let's hear it, and we'll debate it on the other side. This audio question comes to us from Jason in the Bronx. Hey, what's up, Solid Monster? The streak is over. But my question is about the man who ended it. Brock Lesnar has been a dominant beast since coming into the WWE, having decisive wins over guys like The Rock and even The Undertaker in past meetings. Hell, even Stone Cold Steve Austin would have met the same fate had he allowed it. So my question to you, Solomonster, is do you think this was always the path for Brock Lesnar? Did Vince have this path laid out from the beginning? And if so, why was Vince dead set on having the guys that he had his company built on for the last 20 years being destroyed by this guy? Well, I would hope it's because Vince gets it. He gets what Brock Lesnar is, you know, what Brock Lesnar is all about. Brock is, he's a special guy. There's not too many people that have come into that company who look like Brock, who can move around like Brock. Uh, he's, he's a monster, you know. And, and if you go back to when he first came into WWE, I think the reason to answer the second part of your question, why would Vince have this guy destroy all these other people who helped build his company for so long? Vince didn't know that Brock was going to leave and go try a career in the NFL and go to the UFC. They were building everything around Brock because they had long-term plans to make him one of the biggest guys in the history of that company. You know, he was going to be the dominant guy going forward. So that's why Brock came in, and within a few months, he won King of the Ring. Two months later, he beat The Rock clean. Clean as a sheet in the middle of the ring for the championship at SummerSlam. And he had only been on television for like five months, six months. Probably not even that long. Then he went and he feuded with The Undertaker. How did that end? He beat The Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell match. Clean, in the middle. I remember that. Undertaker was just pouring blood in that match. It was one of the best Hell in a Cell matches, I think, in, in company history. So you've got to be a special guy for, you know, The Undertaker to go in there with you, and he's going to put you over like that. Now, what was Undertaker's old catchphrase back then, I'll make you famous? Well, he made Brock Lesnar famous in that match. And Brock went on to have feuds with Big Show and Kurt Angle. He beat Angle in the main event of WrestleMania to win the belt. All these different people. He got a win over Hulk Hogan on television. He got a bear hug win over Hulk Hogan on SmackDown, like a week or two before SummerSlam. And I guess that kind of led to Hogan leaving the company a few months later because Hogan, it was the understanding that Hogan would come back two, three months later at Survivor Series and beat Brock for the belt at Madison Square Garden, which is comical to look back on that now. I'm sure I don't doubt for a second that Hogan would have wanted that. But these huge wins that Brock had when he was still a young guy, he was only 20-something years old at the time, 24, 25, whatever he was, was because they thought he was, he was in it long term. They didn't know that you know, less than two years later he would be out of the company. Had they known that, I'm sure they wouldn't have pushed him so hard. But as far as him breaking the streak, you know, was this laid out by Vince from the get-go? Was this the plan all along from, from the time Brock came back? No. No, I don't believe for a second that it was. Uh, you know, you, you read stories and you hear things. Is it true? Is it not true? You know, but by all accounts, I mean, it was Vince's decision for the streak to end, and it had everything to do with the Undertaker Jets being in the physical state that he's in and just not being able to go anymore. And I still think that we haven't seen The Undertaker's last match, but I, I admit I could be wrong. You know, that could very well end up being Undertaker's last match if he really is that bad off physically. You know, my guess would be that Vince saw that and he said that's it. He made the call. 
and, and Undertaker had to go along with it. So I don't know that Undertaker would have wanted the streak to end that particular night, but he was like, all right, cool, let's do it. Maybe he knew. Maybe Undertaker knew. I mean, nobody knows his body better than he does. Only Undertaker really knows how bad off he really is with his knees and his hips and his back and everything else. Uh, you know, and there were rumors that he had a hip replacement many years ago, which I'm sure, look, if he hasn't had a hip replacement already, he's going to probably need two. There have been stories about the Undertaker needing hip replacements going back to the late 90s. And even Scott Hall. Scott Hall underwent surgery for, I think, a, I think he had a hip replacement. And uh, I remember Hall kind of let the, the cat out of the bag, I think maybe by accident. He was talking to, uh, I don't know if it was the same doctor who had uh, treated Undertaker before, but Scott Hall went and said something to the effect of, yeah, you know, I talked to the same doctor that did Taker's hip operation or, or hip replacement, uh, and I, I don't know that he intended to kind of expose him like that, but he did. And, and that's not a shock to me at all because there were rumors that during one of his sabbaticals a few years ago, he went away for several months and it might have actually been the period before Undertaker came back in the summer. I think it was the summer of 2010. Remember when Undertaker was in a vegetative state? Uh, it was like in May over Memorial Day, the Memorial Day holiday or something. The storyline was that uh, Undertaker was in a vegetative state. Kane found him that way. We found out later on that it was Kane who attacked his brother. When Undertaker came back to that feud with Kane in, a, I want to say, the latter part of 2010, uh, and I'm pretty sure I, I said the same thing back then. He didn't look like the same guy that we had seen retire Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. Something happened in that break between the Mania match with Shawn in Phoenix and his comeback feud with Kane for the world title. That's when Undertaker lost, I think, three straight pay-per-view matches or something like that to Kane, which was unheard of because it was always Undertaker beating Kane in their feud over the years. But here, he kind of paid it forward, I guess, and Kane got these big wins over Undertaker. Paul Bear came back. He turned on The Undertaker. All of those matches were, were pretty bad, and Undertaker just did not look physically in the ring like the same person. Now, he did come back later. He had some really good WrestleMania matches against Triple H. It's not like he never had another good match. But I, I always thought, like, something happened in that break, and I think that may have been the, the period where he may have had some, some hip surgery. Um but I think that's what it real, really boils down to. It wasn't a matter of, hey, we got this grand plan for Brock Lesnar, you know, two years out, you're going to be the one to break the streak. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it was just, it's time for the streak to end, and it just so happens that The Undertaker is wrestling Brock Lesnar this year, and so, Brock, you're going to be the guy. If it was somebody else, it might have been them. I think it might have just been right place, right time. Alex from Vancouver, after seeing the click reunited at the Hall of Fame ceremony this year, I was wondering what you think would happen if an incident like that occurred today. Considering we are entering the reality era and kayfabe is less relevant than ever, do you think if we saw Daniel Bryan, John Cena, Batista, and Randy Orton embrace in the ring after a match, there would be severe consequences? Just asking this question makes me realize how few true heels there are today, but that is a whole other issue. Uh, I'm happy you brought that up because I want to tie this into something that happened this week with Jim Ross. But before that, uh, do I think that they would face severe consequences the way that those guys did? Probably not, unless it happened on TV. That would be a different story. But if it was at a house show or something, I mean, look, you probably have a lot of old school guys, right, that work for the company behind the scenes who would not be very happy. That was the case in 96 when they did it. Uh, although there were also stories that some of the wrestlers were bothered by that. Bret Hart and, you know, the British Bulldog kind of 
<clears throat> not snitched. I mean, everybody knew what happened, but they complained loudly about it, and they're killing kayfabe and all this other stuff. I think, you know, all these years later, I think it's so much of a non-issue. You know, if it's a house show, if it's something that's not done on camera where it would jeopardize storylines and stuff, I don't really see what the big deal is. Uh, and, and, of course, of those four, I'm sure John Cena certainly would not get in any sort of trouble. I'm trying to figure out, like, of that group, if they did get in trouble, who the Triple H would be. You know, Triple H was, was the the new guy back then, and Diesel and Razor were leaving. Sean was the champion, and he was pretty much untouchable anyway, so it all fell on Hunter. So who would be the hunter of this group? I guess it would be Brian, ironically enough. Daniel Bryan probably would be the Triple H of that group if they did get in trouble. Uh, but I want to go back. I mentioned Jim Ross. Jim Ross went on uh, something of a Twitter tirade uh, this week about the lack of heels in wrestling, and, and specifically the lack of heels in WWE. And he posted a whole series of tweets, and I marked them down. I want to just read them. It's like five or six tweets. He said, What traits must a top TV wrestling villain possess to motivate ticket buyers to invest in seeing the villain get their ass whipped? Who gets it? If pro wrestling villains rarely cheat, have abundant redeeming social qualities, they're not villains. Stop BSing yourself. Pro wrestling villains must have rules to break. What moves are illegal? Fewer and fewer. That fine gray line between good and evil is a joke. Uh, he then started responding to people who were tweeting him. Somebody mentioned Cesaro, and JR said, What does Cesaro do to cheat or gain an unfair advantage? Nothing of consequence. Same for Lesnar. And I'll get back to that in a second. He said, I'd estimate that half of today's TV wrestling heels are not equipped with guts and toughness to be great villains. Most would rather be cool. Uh, somebody said, it's the reality era, it's Shades of Grey. He said, Shades of Grey sounds all good, but where has that worked? And how do you feel about tweeners? He says, generally, they don't draw a dime. TV wrestling villains must lie, selectively be a coward, be a bully when they can, gain an unfair advantage, bitch and moan, and disrespect the fans. So something must have set him off. I don't know what, what set him off on this uh, tirade. But he mentioned Brock Lesnar, and I actually disagree on that. And I agree with most of what he's saying here. If you really look at the number of real, true dick heels in wrestling, there aren't really that many of them. I think, you know, in TNA, I hated Aces and Aces. I just thought the whole thing was a giant waste of time. It was a failure. But when Bully Ray was at his most epic heel, his most epic heel self in TNA, uh, there was none better than Bully Ray. Bully Ray was like the closest thing to a classic asshole wrestling heel that we had, uh, probably in any of the major promotions. And now now he's a babyface, so you know he's doing something a little bit different. So I agree with him in that respect, but on Brock I have to disagree. Brock Lesnar is the same guy who, back in January at the Royal Rumble, went up against a guy that was actually bigger than him. Now, it's not very often that Brock Lesnar will step in the ring against somebody bigger than him. He's bigger than most. But Big Show is going to be bigger than pretty much everybody else, except maybe Kali. But Brock went in there at the Rumble for a match with Big Show, and instead of facing him head-on, what did he do? He grabbed the steel chair, and he beat the piss out of him. He beat the crap out of the Big Show with a steel chair, and then he left. He walked away like a true dick, like a real asshole heel. Uh, even when Brock isn't cheating, okay, maybe Brock doesn't hook the, ro hook the tights or hold the ropes and stuff like that, but when he's not beating up somebody with a chair, which is actually great, I love that because it's just, it's such an asshole thing to do. Brock Lesnar is this big, tough guy, 
who can probably go head-to-head with anybody with his two fists, but yet he resorts to using a weapon. Like, I think that's just classic heel tactics right there. But even when he's not doing that, you know, he's got Paul Heyman there as his mouthpiece. Paul Heyman is his advocate. They, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Heyman and Lesnar are the best duo, the best, like, manager-wrestler combo, I think, in the history of wrestling. They, they are so awesome together. And Brock can go in there and beat the crap out of people. He doesn't care about the fans. He doesn't play to the crowd. And, and that's, that's probably a shoot. He doesn't care. He, he goes in. He wants to make as much money as he can. I don't really think he has any sort of allegiance to wrestling. Didn't then, doesn't now. But we're happy to have him because he's so good at what he does. You know, he's a special kind of, of performer. So I love Brock Lesnar. I mean, I think he's great. And I think he, he's a great heel. Even if he's not raking the eyes and throwing powder in people's faces, I think there's a little bit of, of an old school, a little too old school maybe, not every single heel has to rake the eyes and, and, you know, deliver a low blow. So on Brock, I disagree wholeheartedly. I think he's a great heel, and I think he, he's a great example, I think, of what other people should probably uh, follow if they wanted to be a similar type of, of heel. But he is right in, in a lot of other respects, and I'll throw Bad News Barrett out there as an example. Bad News Barrett is not supposed to be a babyface, okay? That's not the way that he's booked. And I know Vince, you know, now the new edict is that there are no baby faces and there are no heels in WWE, and that's all fine and good, but that's not how they, how they book. They still book along the lines of, okay, we want you to cheer for this guy, we want you to boo this guy. And Bad News Barrett goes out there every week, and he stands on his podium with his gavel, and he insults the fans, and he calls everybody fat. Okay, that's not a babyface. That's a heel. But when Barrett comes out, you know, Barrett came out on that post-WrestleMania Raw, so maybe this is a bad example because that's a smarky kind of crowd. Did he really do anything illegal? Did he really do anything to get people to want to boo him? It was a pretty straight match, I think, that he had with Rey Mysterio, and, you know, he finished him off with the bullhammer elbow, and he was playing to the crowd like a babyface. And it was great. Like, I was in the arena, and people were going crazy for him, and I actually felt really good for the guy because... I couldn't even remember the last time he wrestled a match, so it was nice to see the people actually reacting to Wade Barrett with this uh, this gimmick. But you can say that Wade Barrett was an absolutely terrible heel. He was not doing his job. His job should not have been to go out there and do the whole thing where he goes, you know, boom, and he puts his hands in the air. I think at one point he was he was actually actively trying to get the crowd to start a chant. Uh, maybe it was the English fans, the Brit- the British fans that he was playing to. That may have been it, but he's playing to the crowd. He, he's, like, looking for that kind of babyface reaction, but that's not who he's supposed to be. So I agree with JR in that respect. You know, you got guys on the main roster. I don't want to say they don't know how to be heel. I mean, it's not my place to say that, but I'm watching these guys, and, and it's true. You know, they're not really doing anything to get that kind of reaction. Like, go back even a few years. Who are some of the best heels in WWE in the last decade, okay? I mentioned Brock. I think Brock would have to be up there. The two names when I said that that really popped into my head, number one is Edge, and number two is Chris Jericho, who's gone back and forth a lot. But Edge, I thought Edge was a great heel. And he would even do interviews, and he would say, my, my goal as a heel is to not be a cool heel, to not be like you know the NWO back in the day. 
his goal was to have absolutely no redeemable qualities to his character whatsoever. So that way, nobody would have a reason to cheer for him. And he was awesome. Chris Jericho, when he came back in like 08 and he was wearing the suit and tie, he would talk really low, which is like an old Jake Roberts thing to get the crowd to pay more attention to what you're saying. You know, Jericho went to, to, to management. They wanted to make him a T-shirt. He said, no, I don't want any merchandise. People are not supposed to like me. Why would they buy my T-shirt? So I'm sure he lost out on some money by doing that, but that's because he wanted to be a tried-and-true heel. And when you really look at, we'll take WWE as an example, over the last 10 years, you can't find a lot of guys like that. You can find maybe a handful, but not a lot. And I think that's probably what JR was getting at. And again, I don't know what set him off on this. I don't know if he's reacting to a certain person he saw on TV or if this is just a general thing. Somebody asked him a question. Uh, but he makes a lot of very valid points. I disagree on Brock, but on a lot of these other guys, and I use Bad News Barrett as one example, uh, you know, the Wyatt family goes out there, they get cheered a lot, but, you know, I, I can't really blame Bray Wyatt. I mean, they're not doing anything wrong. Maybe they could be doing more to cheat and to do some really heinous kind of stuff, but it's not like they're going out there trying to play to the crowd. Um, maybe he is by trying to get them to do the whole, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands kind of stuff. But there, there's a lot to be said for the lack of real, true heels, like guys that you absolutely hate. Not, not like The Miz, like get off my TV kind of stuff. A guy that you would actually want to pay money or tune into the you know, main event segment on Raw because I can't wait to see this guy get his ass kicked. You don't really have a lot of that. You know, Randy Orton, he's a pretty good heel. But Batista? What about Batista? I think Batista now is great in, the, in this role. He was completely miscast when he came back as a babyface. Once it was obvious that people hated him or they resented him, you know, for, for taking a spot away from Brian or whatever, it was the only move to make. And I think heel Batista, who comes out and actually mocks the fans, is so great. It, it's, it's so great. And that, that's part of what makes a good heel. The people already hate me, so let me go out there and give them a reason to hate me. I remember the, the WrestleMania press conference in New York. He, he comes up to the podium and he you know, he's mocking the fans and saying, oh, people like to make fun of me for my skinny jeans. And he just gets on the mic and he says, I have one pair of skinny jeans, and I'm going to wear those skinny jeans every single week just to piss you people off. And I laughed. I thought that was so awesome. So Batista, I think, as a heel right now is, is great. But, you know, you can count on one hand how many great heels you really have. John Dricks from Montreal. Do you see Roman Reigns turning on the shield and joining Evolution as its fourth member? I've gotten a lot of emails from you guys asking me the exact same question. Uh, do you think Reigns? Do you think somebody's going to turn and join Evolution? I don't think so, but if anybody was going to turn, I figure it would be Rollins or, or Ambrose, not, not Reigns. I think Reigns' Reigns' big singles future coming up is as a babyface, and plus Batista's already kind of the heavy. He's the muscle of the group. You don't really need two guys like that. Uh, I, if, if it was going to be anybody, I think it would be Rollins or Ambrose, and, but I don't think that's going to happen. All right, JJ, uh, let me hear your take on the heel situation in WWE or lack of. Yeah, I mean, I actually have to agree with him. When you think of a lot of the heels that are in the WWE today, they are the cool heels, the heels that you want to buy their merchandise, you want to cheer for, guys who were heels in the past, like uh, Dolph Ziggler, Cesaro right now, even Wade Barrett. 
You know, even in before that, you want to go back to the Attitude Era, Rocky Maivia, people hated that guy's guts. They were chanting, die, Rocky, die. And yet once he dialed up his personality and became The Rock, then they started to cheer him. Even when he came back after doing movies, he had the Hollywood Rock sort of persona, and he was a heel mocking the fans. You know, they they tried to uh, turn his back on him, but then they were cheering him because he was so damn entertaining. John Cena, he was the doctor of thugonomics. He used to make raps. He was that vanilla ice cocky guy in uh, 2002. And then all of a sudden, you know, once he turned face, he hasn't turned heel since just because there's a large portion of fans who love him and there's some of the fans who are sick of it. You know, Edge, when Edge was the rated R superstar and he had that fling with Lita, he was one of the most hated men in wrestling. I mean, his whole feud with Matt Hardy, people wanted to see Matt Hardy beat the ever-living piss out of him. You know, Bully Ray was a great point. You know, uh, I think even Dominic has said this in the past. You know, Bully Ray, probably the best heel in the business today. I mean, right now it seems to be he's a face. He's feuding with uh, Dixie Carter. But during that Aces and Eights, people hated his guts. They were sick of him, Aces of Eights. And he would come out strong every week, talking down to the fans. He wasn't really playing to them. He was doing classic heel maneuvers, you know, talking about cheating and using the, the gang mentality and the numbers against the TNA guides. You know, and yet whenever the TNA had the upper hand, he was the coward running away. You know, we don't see a lot of that. Even Daniel Bryan, when he was a heel in 2011, when he was the world champion, the whole part of this yes movement it all started when Brian was a heel, and he was doing yes to stick it to the fans because the fans were getting tired of him because, you know, he was that underdog who won the title, and then he was so happy. But then the fans were like, yeah, but we don't really know you. We don't really care. So then he would come down the ring and chant yes, just to, you know, screw the fans over who were sick of it. And yet, it was because of that the fans started to love him even more because he was sticking it to them, and they loved it. It was entertaining. It was kind of like a banter between him and the fans. I'll never forget the one time when he literally went face-to-face face with a fan ringside, and they were chanting yes. And Brian, who was still the heel at the time, was chanting no. He was getting in the fan's face. And I thought, this is so awesome. I mean, if you're a fan, you could only hope that you could get a wrestler's attention like that. And he was so pissed off that the fan was doing his thing. And he was doing, no. And we, and even CM Punk, when he was the straight-edge society, he was shaving people's heads. He was picking on Rey Mysterio and Rey Mysterio's daughter uh, or son. And, you know, he was really hated. I remember a lot of house shows that he went to. People were throwing garbage at him, batteries. People were, you know, trying to almost assault him. And, you know, he had security throw fans out of the, the arena, believe it or not. Uh, if you look up, I think, CM Punk, uh, I don't know what the hell the, the arena was, but it was a house show and the fans were rabid. They hated his guts. And even in 2011 when he dropped the pipe bomb, he did it as a heel. And he was telling fans that I'm sick of you fans who come at the airport asking me for autographs only to sell it on eBay. You know, he was really kind of doing this heel move, but at the same time, a lot of people took to it. And the next thing you know, he was the most over guy in wrestling. You know, I said Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler, when he was Mr. Money in the Bank, he was a heel. 
He had A.J. Lee cheating for him. He had Biggie Langston cheating for him. But yet when he cashed in money in the bank, he was the most over guy that night on Raw. And even The Miz. The Miz is a guy people hate, but at the same point, I don't know if they hate him as much as they're just sick of him talking. I don't know if it's what he's saying that is producing the hate. It's just, I think, just him in general. But at the same time, I think he's one of the few people who where he was a heel and people wanted to see him get his ass kicked. So I do think The Miz is probably one of the few heels there, although right now he's a face and the people still boo him. So I don't, you know, it's a very confusing time with you have the heel and the face, the lines are blurred. I don't know if there really are any true heels in wrestling. He pointed Bad News Barrett, and, he, you know, Bad News Barrett on that Raw after Mania, he was playing to the fans. They were cheering for him. They're cheering, you know, Wade Barrett or cheering Bad News Barrett, and that's not something you do as a heel. Your whole job as a heel is to be the most hated man in the, the arena, in the room, or just to get that, you know, hate. The people to boo you, not cheer you, not want to, you know, buy your merchandise, you know, and I don't know if we have a really true heel in the WWE, even the Wyatt family members. They're technically heels, but at the same time, they're really loving Bray Wyatt, and they're cheering for him. Hell, they even voted against John Cena in that handicap match. They're, they're on Bray Wyatt's side, even though he's not technically a face, he's still sort of a heel, but now he's sort of playing to the fans, and they're singing along. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, it's, it's a very different time now. We talked about even back then when Jericho won the title for the first time in 2000, and Triple H was the heel, and he had Earl Hebner erase the decision, and then at once, you know, Hebner erased the decision, he still pedigreed him afterwards because then he fired him. I mean, that's a heel thing to do. The people weren't cheering that. They were booing him. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. Cesaro, another guy. Cesaro's with Paul Heyman, who's the most hated manager in wrestling. And yet, at the same time, they're cheering Cesaro. So is Cesaro a heel? Is he a face? I'm confused. I really don't know. I mean, you know when Heyman's out there with Lesnar, you know, people don't like Lesnar. Lesnar is maybe a heel in the sense that people aren't necessarily cheering for him. But uh, at the same time, Lesnar is a badass. He's a tough heel. And I don't know if that makes him cool to a few people. You know, the whole point, like I said, of being a heel is you want to be the most hated person. I know right now, once Brock beat the streak, he was the most hated person. So in that regard... You know, everybody was booing him that uh, that night at WrestleMania, the Raw afterwards. So I'm very curious to see what happens the next time we see Brock and how the fans take to him, if they're still booing him. But uh, I agree. I don't know if we're going to see any true heels left in wrestling. It's it's a very fine line now between heels and faces. The lines are blurred. Dominic, are there any true heels in wrestling, in your opinion, like there were in the old days? Yeah, one big one, Triple H. Triple H will be one of the most hated guys in wrestling until the day he retires. But you don't have heels like you used to have back in the day. Back in the day, you had guys that took foreign objects out of their trunks, would choke the guy with the tag team rope, would choke the guy with the uh, string in his own trunks. You got guys that would just take it outside the ring and just beat the living hell out of you. Now, if you got two guys in the ring, one guy's supposed to be the bad guy, one's supposed to be the good guy. 
but the match is so intense, like Storm and Gunner, all right? And the fans are chanting, this is awesome, this is awesome, this is awesome. Even though Storm is supposed to be the heel, and he is, because he knocked the military and he made fun of uh, Gunner's family, but Storm really doesn't break any rules when he's out there. He's just overly aggressive. Back in the day, you had heels that were definite heels. Killer Kowalski, Bulldog Brower, George Dan Stasiak. Who? Dan the Man Stasiak. Yeah, Stan Stasiak. Dan Hanson. But yet, I loved all those guys. I loved Stasiak. I loved Ivan Koloff. Ivan Putsky was a good guy, but a lot of people booed him. Um, Iron Sheik in his day was was a great heel. Oh, Iron Sheik was a phenomenal heel. Now everybody loves him. Yeah. I got on YouTube and Howard Stern. What yep. do you say, Blackjack, about the heels today? I mean, my 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 page is the same with Dominic. I mean, we're from the old from the same school, basically. You know what I'm saying? I agree with everything he he said. I mean, um, the referee would have to check under the sweatbands. The referee would have to check the elbow pads. Yeah, it's just time and ever right heel. now. I mean, we don't have the two heels as in, in the past because then uh, heels is, is being a heel is one of the best things around. Hogan right. was a great heel. He loved it when he turned heel. Yep. Uh, Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, the Undertaker. Psycho Sid. Friday Piper. Shawn Michaels when he attacked uh, Brutus Beefcake when he went heel. Remember Shawn Michaels when he uh, super kicked uh, Marty Jannetty, J.J. Dominic? That was a heel move if there ever was, right through the friggin' window. Yep. Like a glass window, yeah. Yeah, great moment for Shawn Michaels. What we read on Wrestling Superstars or something like that? Yeah, it was one of the main TV shows. Yeah. One of those syndicated shows. Yep. Uh, and they were talking about uh, that night in question when they all, the uh, click came out. That was, uh, I went to that show. That was May of 96. And uh, you had X-Pac, you had Triple H, you had Hall, Nash, Triple H. They all broke kayfabe. You know, because they were bad guys, some of them, and some of them were good guys. And they all went up on that cage at the end of the night, and they all uh, hugged each other just to say, uh, you know, we'll see you in 10, 15 years, which yep. ended up happening. So, uh, a different time. big that time. You know, it lost, lost, Barry, what, how did it pass that? Was something was uh, a great thing. The motorcycle guys, uh, fractions in the WWE when they had those were very good. Of course, DX, NWO, NWO probably. <laughs> NWO is going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame next year. You know, while everybody's alive, Scott Hall, Hogan, Hall, Nash. So uh, we'll have Good to way to do it. And, uh, of 
course, this Sunday is the pay-per-view. It looks like it's a good pay-per-view. Am I right, JJ? Yes, this Sunday we have eight matches. As you pointed out, we went over them. So uh, it, the pay-per-view, they even announced that uh, DirecTV and Dish will not be airing Extreme Rules. The only way to watch Extreme Rules is if you have a cable provider like Xfinity or if you are a custom, new, newly customer of the WWE Network. The WWE Network and your cable providers are the only place to watch Extreme Rules. It will not be carried by Dish or uh, Satellite, DirecTV. So the only way to watch it, on WWE Network or on cable. You think eventually all the cable companies are going to get uh, lose uh, the WWE as a, as a partner, Jay? Yeah, I think, I think it's just a matter of time. I think at the one point, you know, the W Network is still kind of new. There's still a lot of people who haven't gotten it yet. So right now that money is going to the uh, cable providers. I mean, especially that satellite dropped it. Now your only place to really get it if you want to watch it on TV and you want to order it is through cable. So they might be holding on to it for just a little while longer but it wouldn't surprise me if in the future they do drop it once more people acquire the WWE Network. No question. Okay, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll give our recap of the pay-per-view. Thursday, I'll have Aphrodite Jones here. And thank you, Dominic. Thank you, Thank you, uh, guys. Yeah, pleasure to be here. All right, my brothers. I'll see you uh, in two weeks. See I'll you in see New you York, two weeks, King. too, because I'm not going to get the pay-per-view Sunday. Oh, okay. Well, I'll uh, definitely go over extreme rules. So take it take it easy, guys. Always fun hanging out. Yeah, definitely. TV alive in living color. All right. We'll see you. Okay. Take care, everybody. <laughs>